Hola, hola, hola. Welcome to a new episode of Breaking Pan with El Profe and Letty. This is episode three in season two. Sorry it's taken a little bit, but you know, life happens. But guess what? We have a special guest today. He is the CEO of the Georgia First Gen Pro Organization, Charbel Aon. Charbel, how are you doing today? That was the coolest introduction that I have ever received, and I am truly thankful because of that. I am, I am doing, I'm doing well, profe. It's, it's a, it's another day in paradise, as I like to say. Just, just taking it one day at a time. Yeah, one day at a time. Good. Well, Sharba, we're we're so happy to have you on the podcast, man. Um, just, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, from the fact that we go back and. We're, we're brothers of, of this journey of life, but we're also just passionate um, individuals. I would say agents of change, mm-hmm. especially for Georgia higher education. So it's just been great to like meet someone that is just as passionate as we are. Yeah. Um, and when I say we, I also got to throw in the profe in there because if I leave him <laughs> out right now, he, you know, he'll, he'll leave the podcast right yeah, now. I'm a little sensitive right now. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Scoot, back, scoot back in. Scoot back in. It's scoot okay. You're part of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, profe, we keep you in the loop, all right? Uh, <laughs> appreciate that. Much love. Charbel, man, tell us a little bit about you. and then we're, we'll, Let's get started with this. Share with our listeners, who is Charbel? Um... Well, Charbel is first gen, as as so many awesome people have discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, I come from a Lebanese Syrian background, dad's side of the family from Lebanon and mom's side from Syria. So Mm -hmm. the the best food you can possibly think of with the best music you could possibly think of. And that's just me being opinionated, but Mm -hmm. I got facts, right? No, I'm kidding. for you yeah how do you define first gen uh, you know there's that that's that it's a big conversation now in every mm-hmm. in every realm of education how yeah. do you define first generation it's it's so funny you ask that because plug in i also do a podcast that talks about <laughs> the first gen you know perspective and and every single time we talk about it we think about these these sorts of pioneers in mm-hmm. in life right people who are the first in their family to uh, get into college, people who are first-generation Americans. There's such a fluid definition Mm -hmm. that we tend to forget that being the first is more than just, you know, being the first (laughs) In, Mm -hmm. in a a simple sense. But for me, I would define first-generation as being the first in your family to pursue higher education. Mm-hmm. And just taking that next step after high school and either going to college or going to technical school or, or finding that sort of level of education that is different from what your forefathers may have gone through. Mm. Love it. Love it. And you and we're talking before we started the podcast. Uh, I remember you mentioned that you had you know younger siblings. Mm-hmm. So you know you being a first gen, yeah. how has that experience been? You know, guiding your younger siblings going into college. Like, have you taught them about the mistakes you've made, and also what mistakes did you make along the way? Because you know, as first gen, yeah. a lot of us make a lot of mistakes, especially I, early on. It's it's interesting to be this sort of leader leader in higher ed. And mm-hmm. you, you help out so many students, but then you have four younger siblings and you're a nervous wreck because you're trying <laughs> to make sure that they're doing well. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 
you know that they are going to be pursuing their own journeys that are going to be far different than yours. Mm-hmm. So the only thing you can do is give them your experience, your take, and hope that that would be enough support for them. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I made is assuming you can do it all. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we tend to neglect. Mm-hmm. You you try to pile on so many extracurriculars in college, or you try to think you can do a work-study program while studying for school. And, and for me, being the first in my family, coming from a first-generation family, mm-hmm. you do get put in, in a lot of you know responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right? You're given roles that a typical student may not be given. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's interesting to try to juggle it all. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I've noticed that has been something I should have done years ago is acknowledge that it's okay to struggle. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And at the same time, acknowledge that there are people that are, that are willing to help. And by not understanding that, when I was 18, mm-hmm. it made it more difficult for me to kind of pursue college in a more positive light mm-hmm. because I was in a rush to finish mm-hmm. to support the family. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we forget that you have to be a little selfish mm-hmm. in order to be selfless. Yeah. So. I sound a lot more older than what I should be. He dropped a whole gem right now. He's just like, boom. He's like, let me just drop this diamond on you real quick. (laughs) Got a little power sheet for you, you know what I'm saying? I actually have a question for both of you. Oh, this is the first. How did did you know? How do you know? Like, what was the first time you interacted with each other? Because you know each other for a while now, right? So it's funny because like I heard so much of Charbel before I even met you, and it's it's, it's hilarious because we have a mutual friend. Um, uh, I would say mutual mentee, mentee right? Yeah. Like it from from a fraternity perspective for Larry and for yeah. me from a school perspective, we both mentored um, the same individual, mm-hmm. and I don't know how it happened, but. <laughs> It literally was a point to where he's like, you need to work with this organization or you need to meet this person. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) And then the same individual goes, you need to meet my fraternity mentor and my fraternity brother because he thinks just like you. And I'm like. Yeah, so it's <laughs> literally how it happened because I'll never forget like because um, I was uh, he, he was going through our induction process so I was spending a lot of time excuse me um, with with our mentee and uh, I remember when we would like have time we'd have dinner together or when we just go for a walk he kept bringing up your name Charbel and oh, he kept man. saying how he kept saying these amazing things about you and I was just like. And I even told him, I was like, cause at the time I was like, I was just like, you know what? You are blessed to have someone like that in your corner. So mm-hmm. hold on to people like that. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how we, we knew of each other <laughs> through him. And that's how it kind of like started. And so. it was like a year and a half, two years before we even like met too. Really? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't even, and we didn't even talk. <laughs> that was the crazy part. It's yeah. like I, I knew of Larry and Larry knew of me. Uh-huh. And then whatever spur of the moment it was. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what, The one thing I will say that I was like, the, what took me, 
you know, I you know, I work in higher ed and one of the things that that was that drew me to Charbel and like hearing everything was that he is so young and when I heard he's a CEO of a nonprofit doing mm-hmm. amazing work for first generation students, I was like, I just gotta know this guy. <laughs> like, you know, very rarely do you encounter people that are doing phenomenal things like Charbel's doing for the community. When you talk mm-hmm. about Georgia First, right? Georgia First Gen. Mm-hmm the impact that they're having, especially throughout the state, but like here, because Gwinnett County is, is dear to my heart, mm-hmm. right? Same and to our, to both to our hearts. And so it's like when you, when I, when I heard that Charbel's doing this and then like when I would talk to high school counselors, whenever I was doing recruitment events and they were like, Oh, like you got to meet this guy Charbel. And like, again, his name just kept coming up and I was just like, it's, it's inevitable. I have to meet this guy. Oh, yeah. And I remember when we first got together, I think we were just, Kind of plotting on how we're going to work together, <laughs> yeah. It, but but then it just it just beautifully manifested. It's it's so funny to think how far that our brotherhood has truly become. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this moment. And it was oh yeah, someone was working in our nonprofit and they wanted to bring on a team member, like to help with like programming and sort of deal with this fellowship. And I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Who's this person going to be? And they said, oh, it, it's Larry, Larry Arguella. And I'm like, why does that name sound so familiar? <laughs> Just send me a resume. Just send me a resume. Yeah. And when I look at the resume and I see the fraternity that's on there, I'm like, why does this fraternity look so familiar? <laughs> mm-hmm. I messaged my mentee. I'm like, does this look familiar? I'm like, that's my mentor. I've been trying to make it to me for the last two years. I'm like, what? So, yeah. no, but I can't look up to anyone like Larry, to be truly honest. Okay. If I wanted to redo, I for, for those that don't know, I'm in pharmacy school right now, and people think I'm crazy. Like, how are you juggling mm-hmm. uh, being in a higher ed role in a sense, mm-hmm. and trying to go in the pharmacy. That's another discussion for another day, and, or maybe we'll talk about it. Who knows where this conversation goes? Yeah. But I will say if I had to redo life all over again, I'd, I'd be doing what Larry be doing. Well, you know, like, okay, I know we kind of digressed because, like, you know, we, we kind of danced around, like, you know, how we knew each other. But this conversation is not about how me and Charbel know each other. It's about Charbel. So let's get back to that. I mean, I need to give this Because this is a beautiful story, too. Wow. I mean, this is because it, it gives a, an example of networking. Yes. Yeah. This is a prime yeah. example of networking. Absolutely. And, and this is really important for, I think, our audience as well. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more as well. But um, I want to get to the root, to the history of you, Sharp. I mean, there's so many titles to your name. I mean, as CEO of a nonprofit, you're a son, you're also a mentor to others, yeah. and then you're a student on pharmacy. I mean, you're juggling yeah. so many things, but like, take us back, like, um, what was Charbel like at like you know like as a kid at seven years old man yeah. did you did you ever think like when you were little like that life would turn out the way it, it did like so yeah I'm just absolutely curious absolutely not if, <laughs> okay let's go if, if anyone were to answer yes to that question they either have a crystal ball mm-hmm. or they have some magical powers that allows them to time travel because <laughs> no one would ever expect themselves to be where they are currently mm-hmm. but I myself. I knew when I was very young that I would be doing something in education, Mm -hmm. ironically Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. And I have to thank my grandfather. This is my dad's father. He was a big proponent of education in Lebanon. Like, he opened up a co-ed school that was a K-12 school, 
one of the first of its kind in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. He was almost considered like a secretary of education in Lebanon's terms. Mm-hmm. When he passed away, 2018, I believe is when he passed away, mm-hmm. his funeral was like a three-day-long processional because there were so many people from all over the world, in a sense, or all over the the Middle East that wanted to pay respect to him because of what he did for education. That's impact. And I never thought that I would be doing something in education or something as impactful in Mm -hmm. higher ed, but I knew in my mind that I wanted to do something groundbreaking like grandpa did Mm -hmm. even though i only met him once and that was when i was about six years old when i got the chance to visit lebanon it's it's hard to visit lebanon just in general Mm -hmm. because of ways of getting into the country and and just the whole safety aspect of it all yeah but people also question like okay so why aren't you in a higher ed role why aren't you doing admissions or enrollment or things like that And then it came to another thing about my grandpa was that he was very sick. Mm -hmm. He was sick, but no one in the family understood why he was sick Mm -hmm. or why was he on so many medications and, and things like that. And for me, it was the sense of combining something as complex as healthcare Mm -hmm. and combining it with the, aspect of education and and sort of teaching healthcare in a manner that is equitable. Hmm. And for, and for me, not many people get to say, I want to be a doctor teaching doctors how to be doctors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not many people get the chance to say that as what do you want to be when you grow up? They normally just choose one or the other, Yeah. but kind of combining the two and seeing that there is, a need to combine these two is truly what has, I think, guided me on this path to where I am now. Yeah. And it's weird for me to see it now. And looking back, I always thought I was going to go in one direction or the other. I never thought there would be a possibility where I can combine healthcare and education together. Hmm. You know, that that is so... Fr- and that's what I love about Charbel, like, knowing his story. I mean, because there's there are certain individuals, and I mean, like, you know, we kind of get bogged down in just doing the one thing, right? Where it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, Charbel could have... You could have easily just been like, you know what, I'm going to stick to healthcare. I'm going to stick mm-hmm. to the medical side, and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, like... And, but you saw that there's still a need on the education side, because I think that's going back to... It's, it's it's impact. Yeah. You know, that impact that you want to have because you need, we need, especially like when you look at first generation, mm-hmm. we need more people on the medical side. I'll never forget when I was talking to our mentee and he was kind of like, and I think he probably had this conversation with you because I know mm-hmm. like you guys can both relate to it as y'all were going through the process together. Yeah. But I remember he was telling me, like, you know, like how when he was in school, in grad school, it was hard. It was just mm-hmm. he didn't know if this was right for him and maybe mm-hmm. he could look into other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, no, we need people like you in these fields. And what's even funnier, I never would have thought pharmacy was my health profession. No. I actually, my very first job was a technician at an eye doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, Sharpa would be great with thighs. Like, he knows how to you know, cut lenses for glasses. He knows how to teach people how to put contacts in, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. 
I went and shadowed an eye surgeon. Brilliant eye surgeon. I mean, when I say brilliant, it makes all of us look like child's play, truly and honestly. <laughs> but it was also the same token. I would never be able to be in that sort of profession after shadowing him for just one day. Hmm. And I thought for a very long time, like, okay, if I didn't want to do eyes, where would I go? Graduated college, didn't get accepted into any med schools that I applied to. And I was just in this slump. Like Hmm. I'm about to graduate college in two months and I don't know where to go. Hmm. Surely enough, uh, the current institution that I go for pharmacy school was like, hey, we have a master's program. You should apply for it. You'd be a great candidate. Mm-hmm. And I've been at that school ever since. I've earned two master's there and currently pursue my pharmacy degree there. <laughs> what? How many yeah. again? Can you repeat yeah. that? So <laughs> I have you, a you master's. Heard, you, heard, yeah. you heard that right. Not one, but two, two. on you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Surprise. Yeah. Um, and that's, and not pharmacy too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny to yeah. think that I would be at a school to where I'd earn more than one degree at, mm-hmm. but the way that everything fell into place, you know, if opportunity doesn't knock, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to make the door and you're going to take the opportunity when it mm-hmm. knocks. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to think about it. And when I saw those opportunities and it, it worked out to where, you know, I can continue schooling, continue to do what I love, continue to mm-hmm. work in a field that is interesting, and then be introduced to pharmacy in a whole new light. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get to be in a situation to where you can teach pharmacy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I have so many examples to where I currently work at a pharmacy and seeing like the language barrier or people mm-hmm. that are confused as to why is this medication so much more expensive and just. Yeah. I don't want to say dumbing it down, but explaining it in a way that just makes sense for the average individual. Mm -hmm. You don't get to do that in a meta, Mm. in like a medical profession or even in an eye setting. You go through an eye exam and it's in and out 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you're expected to pay for glasses that you don't even know you actually need or not. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's very weird, but at the same time, it's all something that you can do in the end. So you mentioned something really interesting because I'm a health psychologist. My PhD is in health psychology. And one of the mm-hmm. things that we study is really, like you mentioned, these barriers. By the way, Profe, my undergraduate degree is in psychology. Just to make you feel better, okay? <laughs> he's he's, making, he's making you proud he right now. just like, I'm like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like. When I'm teaching kids psychology, there's gonna be a Charbel out there. There's gonna be more. I'm gonna try and get all those Charbels. I'm just gonna bring them up, man. Let me tell you. Oh my God. No, I'll never forget when I met Charbel. I'm sorry. What are you doing there, Larry? I'm what are you sorry. doing? <laughs> no, I'll never forget during the uh, you know Georgia First Gen con- uh, conference. Mm-hmm. You know, I get there. I'm like, all right, what am I supposed to do? And Charbel just comes up to me, profit. I'm like. He knows me. Okay, what's going on? <laughs> and he knows us from the podcast, but yeah. great first impression. And I'm like, oh, this guy, I like this guy. I like his energy. <laughs> so that's the thing with Charbel. He has so much energy and just, you know, knowledge and wisdom. And so, I'm, so you know, just hearing your story, hearing your thoughts, it really, really impresses me so much. And mm. uh, 
the profe is impressed by me, guys. <laughs> I, I shall now live forever in in profe's world, I guess. In profe's world. <laughs> profe harmony. Profe harmony. Yeah, profe harmony. So I have a question regarding your organization. Yes. How did it begin? So it started out as a student club at Georgia State. Mm-hmm. Where I would, where that's my alma mater. So for mm-hmm. our Panthers listening, yes, even you can do it too. But <laughs> what I will say is that it started out as a student club, and this student club was very small. Mm-hmm. But so many people were intrigued by the concept of first generation, because when I was in college, almost what 2016 was when we started the organization. So many people had reached out. How do I get involved? How do I support this initiative? And I knew from that point on, like, that this is, this is something that is big. This is something that should be discussed. And when I graduated college, I knew that this organization shouldn't dissipate. It shouldn't disappear. Mm-hmm. And that's where it turned into the not-for-profit, the, the not-for-profit that is Georgia First Gen. And... I find it even more interesting to see the impact that it's had on like a community role. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that not many institutions here in Georgia talked much about first gen. When I, when I mentioned like the scholarship that I received, people are like, oh, they have a scholarship for first gen? But now it's more so, yeah, I can define myself is first gen. Mm-hmm. And so many institutions mm-hmm. recognize that and have built programs and initiatives surrounding this idea of first they, gen. They, they created offices and like positions just because of like the movement that they started too. It, if it, you look at the timeline of like when they started, sorry, I don't want to, no, I'm, no, I'm, please. I'm just, I'm just fan <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan right now. <laughs> I, <laughs> when please. you look at the landscape, like please. this guy made an impact. <laughs> it's, it's so cool to think that I was one of the founding, found, one of the founders of a movement, mm-hmm. especially in an area of our country that is so heavily impacted mm-hmm. by the immigrants mm-hmm. or the first gen pioneers, as I like to call them. And to see in just the five, six years we've been around, just as Larry said, there are offices now in in in. in colleges and universities that solely focus on the work that we do. There are, you know, county public schools that have built clubs around our formatting and around our programming. Mm-hmm. And in our five years, we've gone to helping just 10 to 20 students at one high school to almost 300 you know, students Within, within a cluster and within a county, mm-hmm. we're handing out scholarships, we're connecting students to mentors, and it's just the beginning. And that's what mm-hmm. I'm so proud of, is just the, the idea that this first-gen movement is just getting started. Yeah. That's that's honestly what it is. And along those lines, like where do you see your organization in five years or in ten years from now? This was the the coolest honor of my life was recognizing Larry for all the higher ed work that he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's laughing because he knows it's true. <laughs> but secondly, we got to award another individual, and he's a 
big. He he's a youth past. He was a youth pastor at one of the one of the local churches here, and he, because of the impact that he's had, he moved to South Carolina to basically do the same thing but on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. And when I got to present him with the plaque, literally the day before he moved out, he goes, "Charbel, whenever you're ready for South Carolina, the doors are open for you." And the goosebumps upon goosebumps that I received when he said that mm-hmm. just tells me that first gen is something that has to be explored throughout not just Georgia, but throughout the country. Mm-hmm. We're, we're at a point to where one out of every four to five students are identified as first gen. And some don't even know that they're considered first gen. Mm-hmm. So where do I see this organization five, ten years from now? I hope to see every high school in Gwinnett County with a first gen chapter. In ten years from now, I hope to be reaching as far south as Georgia and as far north as the eastern seaboard. And and I hope to see first gen not in every state. Like our organization, every straight, because mm-hmm. man, that's shooting for the moon. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but I will say that I hope in five, ten years' time, our conversation gets to cross borders and explore out west, go up north, where wherever it does take this organization, and we get to see ourselves on a national stage, just like so many other institutions have put themselves to. And the. In the, in the- amazing part about the organization and what you're doing and what you're leading is that there's always this thing that people always like to say it's like um oh we like to have the conversation or let's have the conversation but you're putting actions into motions with these words that you're saying Mm -hmm. and i think that's the most Mm -hmm. amazing part right is that you're doing just that so i applaud you my brother like you thank you started something that is that is truly amazing and in a way that's connecting because you know he just he just hit like a trifecta you got the K through 12, you have higher ed, and then you have the other part that people are not talking enough about, and that's the community partners. There's people outside Mm -hmm. of the education sector that play so much influence in the things that affect us as first gen and as student and our students. I mean, from your pastors to the organizations, even to like the, maybe the, the small, that, that local person that's taking the time out of their days to help students just fill out, like not, to do Not too long ago, I got to meet with one of what I get to call one of our first, first gen partners, and they are going to help present a student of the month award. And I'm like, look at this local partner who sees first gen being very impactful and they want to recognize students for what they do well. And I hope to see more partners just like our good friends who are wanting to support these students. And Mm -hmm. I love to be able to say, Hey, do you want to fund a student? Hey, do you want to partner with a student? Mm. It's, it's something that we take for granted, right? Just the ability to see students in a, just the students and, and nothing more. Mm-hmm. You know, I see them as what what our motto says. It's growing a mentorship that helps these first generation students become next generation leaders and thinkers. That's what our mission has been. That's what our mission will continue to be. And mm-hmm. I think we've hit the nail on the head every single time that we've held a program or an event or even tried to speak to industry leaders and organizations about us all right 
So, Charbel, I have a question for you. Sure. You know, we t- we talked a lot about you know your organization, mm-hmm. um, kind of like more of like what you've been doing. I think I would say like with like recently. Yeah. But I'm always curious to know about the story part, like you know, from when is it that you realized? Well, one, when did you realize you were first gen, and what was that process like for you as you were navigating school? Like whether it's through the K through twelve side, or was mm-hmm. it like, or how was it when you were applying for college? Because yeah. mm-hmm. I think in both sides, it's scary as hell. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yes, and especially being the only person in the family, most of my family is still overseas. So when I'm the first one trying to apply to college. Mm-hmm. The only person I could truly ask for at the time that could even help was my high school counselor. Mm-hmm. And bless their souls, were they the, the most supportive people in the entire process. And one of them said, you should really apply for this scholarship. It's called the Questbridge Scholarship. I'm sure you've heard of Questbridge. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it is, it's, it awards overachieving students with a full four-year ride to some of the top schools in the country. You mm-hmm. Essentially Ivy Leagues and schools that are as close to Ivy Leagues as you can think of. And for me, I'm like, the imposter syndrome in me goes, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's not me. Mm-hmm. But when every single teacher and you know counselor behind you supports mm-hmm. you and says, you got to apply, I'm like, well, I don't really have a choice in the matter, do I? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about the program at the time is that it's a lot of the schools are like early decision schools. You know, if you make it far enough, this is a commitment for four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're talking August, September of my senior year of high school where you're starting to figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful to say that I became a finalist. I didn't match for a full four year ride, but. I got acceptances with really substantial financial aid, pro, you know, packages to schools like Emory, to schools like Vanderbilt. Like, these are top-notch schools. Yeah. And I was really proud of myself. My gosh. But at the same time, <laughs> I thought to myself, how can I leave my family and go out of yeah. state? Because a lot of these schools were out of state. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't bear witness to the fact of... Me being the oldest in the family and just leaving the family for them to, I don't want to say fend for themselves, but more so like figure out, navigate, navigate life on their own without someone who's been their mediator for 18 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So an opportunity came up very similar to how I got accepted into grad school. And it was, hey, we saw that you were a Questbridge finalist. We know you didn't match. But we want to offer you an opportunity to attend our school, and we think you'd be a great candidate for this first-generation scholarship. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it was a Coca-Cola first-generation scholarship. Mm. And through the alma mater, Georgia State. Mm-hmm. This was February, right? So February of uh, 20, yeah, 2014. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, February 2014. And you think to yourself... You got three, you know, three months until you graduate. Mm-hmm. You're hoping you get accepted into a school. And when I got that phone call saying, congrats, you're a first-generation scholar. Congrats, your next four years is paid for by the scholarship. Congrats, you have a work-study program. You know, you basically are getting paid to come to school. How can you, how can you not say no to that mm-hmm. opportunity? Mm. To, be, to be at what is now a... 
tier one school or an R1 school mm-hmm. in, in the words of higher ed <laughs> and to say, you know, you, you went to a school that many people questioned at first, mm-hmm. like Charbel going to Georgia State at the time was, you know, Georgia mm-hmm. State was not as high caliber in a sense as it is now. Mm-hmm. I, I will have to say it's definitely come a long way in yeah. the in the eight to 10 years that I've been there or have known it. But Charbel definitely struggled in a sense of, I never felt like I belonged anywhere because I felt like I was the only one in the crowd. My high school, I was probably one of maybe two or three Lebanese or, you know, Arab folk. Mm -hmm. And that was very weird for me. I didn't feel like I can connect to anyone in the school. I didn't feel like I can connect to anyone in the community. Especially when all I did was school and family. Mm. If I wasn't at school, I was helping my younger siblings with school. I was helping my parents with mm. government-related documents and you know things of that nature. So I never got the sense of Charbel free time or what does Charbel do outside of mm-hmm. work and school. And now I feel like I have this flexibility to where... Even though it's not a social setting, mm-hmm. if I'm not in pharmacy school, I'm giving back to the community. Yeah. And ironically enough, I wouldn't have it any other way. Wow. How I, I'm trying to like go, wrap my head around it because it's funny because like I when you said like those 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 institutions that you got accepted to, you know, it's funny because like I went to the same place like that you went like as a first gen where it's just mm-hmm. like. You get accepted to out of state, some of these really, really amazing schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like your first thought goes to like, I can't leave the family unit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they've relied on me for so long. Mm-hmm. And like that's am what's admirable? Admirable. There you go. That's why I have to I can't say it either. I'm not even gonna talk and say it, so you're fine. English wasn't my first language, y'all. Neither neither was I, right? Oh. Soy Arabe, pero right? Like I studied more than five years of Spanish to be able to say like I can help with people in Spanish, right? Yes, yes. But I but I bring up that because yeah. it's a situation to where yeah. you get mistaken. I get mistaken all the time for being Hispanic mm. or uh, Spanish speaking, mm. and. Again, that's that's the part of me that felt I didn't belong. I'm like, mm-hmm. if people mistaken me for what I am not, how can I truly define myself in a world that is so ever so changing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the family unit was interesting because yeah. the family mm-hmm. unit wasn't one to to branch outside. It's very small Lebanese Syrian circle, mm-hmm. and you know there aren't many. Of those little circles here in Georgia, yeah, I, I will have to say, yeah. um, does it fluctuate from time to time? I guess, but I always refer to our family friends as family friends because there isn't anyone else like us in the state. Mm-hmm. I would probably say that there's a good two hundred to two hundred fifty, maybe in the state of Georgia, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe in the county. I could I could be literally underestimating the amount of people because mm-hmm. then again. My network is so diverse in a sense of I meet so many people. Yeah, he does. And I help out so many people. Yeah, he does. 
(laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned something earlier that really caught my attention. Imposter syndrome. Yes. How do you fight it? How do you fight it? And like what have been what has been your strategies to kind of overcome it? Because it's something that it definitely hits first gen. From one psychologist to another, I feel very impressed that you asked this question. But another part (laughs) (laughs) Another part of me goes, Well, how would I define this? And I've taken a lot of leadership-based classes in my master's program. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is that a lot of these leadership classes focused everything around self. Mm -hmm. And this weird concept of in order to be a good leader, you got to make sure that you yourself are good first. Mm. And just these ideas of emotional intelligence and and appreciative inquiry and and so many, I don't want to say complex leadership terms, but more so these psychologists and clinicians who looked at leadership from a standpoint of you have to work on evaluating yourself first before you can evaluate the team, before you can evaluate the organization, before you can evaluate the culture. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget this sort of thesis that I had to defend and it had talked about developing a communication plan. Mm -hmm. So in order to get this master's, I had to defend this paper that I wrote. And one thing that always kept coming up is this idea of trust and the absence of trust. And without trust, you cannot move forward with any sort of leadership goal. Mm -hmm. And for me, that resonated a lot. This imposter syndrome is the lack of trust. It's the lack of you being able to do something for yourself. Mm -hmm. And in order to overcome this imposter syndrome, this idea of, I think I can, I think I can, to I know I can, Mm -hmm. you have to build this trust. When you talk about team dynamics, when you talk about emotional intelligence, it all centers around this fundamental idea of building trust within yourself before you can build trust with others. And I think that's what's so resonating about healthcare, leadership, any sort of thing that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Build the trust. Mm -hmm. Endure the trust and live through that trust. Because trust is fundamental to be able to really make waves in anything that you want to do. It's crazy because, like, when you and I, I admire this with you because any anytime I see you like in a room with students with other professionals, you manifest this level of trust, and I would say kind of a little bit of also confidence in yourself to be able to have these conversations and lead this work. I was the shyest person when I was little too, and <laughs> yeah, when people would look at me from high school to now, and they would say. You're still like that big brother, father figure that you were in high school, but you were very quiet in high school. Everyone knew of me, but at the same time, they didn't recognize, they don't recognize, or they probably still do to this point. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely see like this change of character from someone who just did everything from the sidelines to good thing, bad thing to be front and center Mm -hmm. on this first gen movement thing. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Were, were there any obstacles along the way that really made a significant impact in your journey to now? Like when you talk about becoming, you know, starting a club to now running an organization to also mm-hmm. doing two masters and now going to <laughs> pharmacy school, still taking care of the family, being a mentor to so many in this journey of your life. Has there ever been like a pivotal moment or an experience that has mm-hmm. really been like an obstacle that has really challenged you or has shaped you? Finding the right color hair dye for the amount of gray hairs that I have on my head. The <laughs> no, but uh, thanks, Charbel. I was trying to have a real moment. You know, no, 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 bad joke, bad joke. I'm sorry. No, but I love you, brother. Okay, you, you put all... a on me. <laughs> I ask Profe deep questions sometimes, and he'd be like, "Nah, Larry." <laughs> I'll I'll go deep for you, Larry. Okay, I'm gonna make you proud. So, right. something that has. Stop laughing so much. I'm sorry. He didn't realize I was such a comedian until meeting me for the first time. Okay. I'll rephrase the question to make it feel like we're actually going to have this deep moment. All right, go so ahead. I've always had obstacles in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of circles back to this idea of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. that in order for me to reach this next level of my journey, I have to overcome something that I've never done before. And When I think about this idea of first gen, we think about this word pioneer. Whenever I talk about someone being first gen, I think about they are pioneers in their their family. They are the first in their family. They They are going through a dark tunnel and they don't have a map. They don't have anything. Something that I've lived through is the fact that I've had a lot of personal strife. I had a lot of things that kind of attacked me in in emotional ways that has pushed me to a point to where I can't continue further because I'm just so distraught at the fact that there are so many outside forces that are hindering me. Mm -hmm. And I've questioned myself so many times on this. And I've questioned myself on whether I am doing too much or whether I am doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But then I keep remembering that I'm the one with the torch guiding people as opposed to the one with the map that I'm trying to follow. Mm. I'm the one that's leading people towards the end of the tunnel. I'm not the one struggling from behind, not sure which tunnel I'm supposed to be taking. And I think the consistent part of overcoming these obstacles comes back to this idea of trust and knowing that I have done things that no one has ever done and I gotta be proud of that mm-hmm. because if it weren't for the things that I've done excuse the expression sure as hell no one else is gonna be able to do it yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so I'm really lucky and I'm really fortunate to have such great brothers friends mentors family that Support the crazy things that I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because not many people get to say, I got to take a final exam that was over 120 questions. And then the next day, host a leadership conference for 50 high school students. Yeah. Holy cow. You know, you don't, you don't get to flip the switch mm-hmm. and go from Arab family member to executive director for a nonprofit 
to first year, second year pharmacy student, you don't get to go back and forth with the switch because heck, the the switch will break at some point. Mm-hmm. But how do you maintain it all? It's just the the confidence and this this notion of as long as we're doing it and you got people supporting you along the way, mm-hmm. that torch is going to be lit the entire time you're walking through that tunnel. Mm. So along those lines, Charvel, because you know you do a lot. Yeah. You know, you're juggling a lot. Sure. What do you do for self-care? You know, what's preventing you from, like, burning out, in your opinion? Oh, the other psychology term besides imposter syndrome, burnout. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I got to throw things again. But if I got to throw things out, you know. I should have never mentioned I was a psychology graduate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. The, there's something I want to say. Like, the, that, that video I sent you, I was like, this is why I like him as my co-host. Because <laughs> anytime I draw a blank, this man comes in with that, some good-ish, that, those questions that make you go, yeah. wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what's interesting. He, he knows this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's interesting about burnout is that there are so many levels of burnout Mm -hmm. that you don't know that you're burning out until you've burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I've used that word so many times within that sentence, but (laughs) to prove the point, Mm -hmm. um, something for self care that I think is really important is recognizing when you need to stop. And I get this question asked all the time as, Oh, so you're a pharmacy student. How do you like, what's your study routine? Like what, what do you do to study and things like that? People think I'm crazy when I say this, but I don't look at any material past 10 o'clock. I am not a person that's going to be studying overnight. I don't care how many times people say, I got to pull this all nighter. I'm like, you want your brain to function? You need to get sleep. (laughs) I don't care what anyone says. It's all about making sure you time manage for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think I do a pretty good job at time managing. For all the things that I do. But something that I'll never forget is that I have to make sure that after 10, 1030, I'm either catching up on my, my TV shows, I'm listening to podcasts, <laughs> just like this one, cough, cough, sneeze, or, <laughs> or just, you know, yeah. hanging out with the family, even though my younger siblings don't want to hang out with me. It's Aww. fine. It's it's okay. I know, I, know I'm, I, I know I'm the cool one in the family, but I understand. It's it's <laughs> oh poor profe. Uh-huh. Do you need a tissue? You okay? Might need in just a minute. <laughs> hey man, I've been trying to hang out with you for a minute. Yeah, you abandoned me. Okay, we already established that. <laughs> <laughs> but but literally to to circle back to the point, you yeah. have to be able to time manage for yourself. Yes, that's the first thing you have to put on your schedule is mm. making sure you have those opportunities for mm. yourself, for your family, for 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 you time, me time, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Well, Charbel, we're coming up on time, man. And um, f- I mean, first off, man, thank you so much for joining us on yeah. this amazing conversation about you. I I wanted to give you an opportunity to share your story for our podcast as well, because I know you interview people, but I think people need to interview you. <laughs> I, think, I appreciate that. I think it's only right that you know you get your flowers as well for all the work that you've done thank you so thank you for everything that you've done and also being such a great friend and an agent of change a brother and an mm-hmm. agent of change along of change along this route this road that we're doing um 
I had one last question for you, and I think, uh, yeah, you asked me this question. I hope I'm going to phrase this right. But um, so we have some stu- we have some students, and we have some people that identify as first gen mm-hmm. as, as our uh, some of our listeners. Of course, what's a piece of advice that you give uh, that you give to? I know in the in your podcast you asked me for a high school student, right? Yeah, but. What sort of a piece of advice would you give to a first gen young professional? Mm. Because you know we, you know, I think sometimes we we get stuck on the whole idea of like you know first gen in education, in education mm-hmm. but there's this whole layer, man. Mm-hmm. When you graduate, and there's like so many things that we can just open up even more. Which, um, spoiler alert, it's going to be another episode as first gen professionals charbo will be back for that one um <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i'll do it for you brother <laughs> um, um but yeah but what's a piece of advice that you give to a first gen young professional out there this is a quote that i've lived by for a very long time mm-hmm. going slow gets you there faster yeah you never have to rush to get to where you want to be mm-hmm Because a lot of the time, you don't even know where you're wanting to be. But if you know that you're taking your time, building your craft, strengthening your network, connecting with basically future brethren in a sense or or family, Mm -hmm. you'll realize that you will get to your end goal a lot sooner than you realize. And when I tell these young professionals that, they don't realize the the impact of taking a breath, yeah, mm-hmm. and just pausing for a moment and reflecting on. Look what I have done. Yeah, mm-hmm. appreciative inquiry basically says look at the positives and strengthen your positives. Mm-hmm. Look at your strengths, and and make those strengths flourish even more. As a scientist, we always think about what do we need to fix. But as a leadership guru, in a sense, or or someone that's focused on organizational change, focus on the positives. Mm -hmm. What is your strength and how do you grow from there? Yeah, it's it's amazing how we can think about these these positive and negatives, but more so we, we should think about these strengths and pushing forward this idea of taking our time to craft these strengths into true works of art. That's what I would tell these young professionals. Mm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful advice. Well, I'm telling you, man, this Charbel, you just dropped so many gems, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you again, my brother. It has truly been an honor to have you on the podcast and to just hear just, and I know there's more to your story that I'm always just intrigued to learn more more <laughs> about, but I think we we, cut, we hit the, we touched the iceberg of what, who Charbel is. and We touched the tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg, I mean, yeah, you're the right. The iceberg's big, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I love you, man. You... <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Tip of the iceberg. This is this is this man right here. This is, <laughs> we, work, each other. we we work great together, man. <laughs> this is why I, I need was, to have you around more often. Don't go away too. Don't I'm go like, away. Larry giving me the invite to this podcast. I'm like, wait, I get to sit at the table with El Profe and Larry. Like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I was geeking out for two weeks before before being interviewed, and I'm still geeking out now. So it's all good. <laughs> awesome. Oh man. Well. 
on that note profe take us out man all right well thank you so much for everyone listening hope you hopefully you enjoyed and you learned something new and we will see you or actually you'll hear us in the next episode take care all right peace